Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Man God is so good. I shared with you a couple episodes ago about how the Lord under extreme circumstances the loss of my cousin and then being in china to preach the 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 preach to preach for the preaching award at the baptist college of florida and this is the message that the lord gave me during that time then the title of it is what a mighty god what a mighty god and the idea behind it is you know jesus was not just a man he yes he was 100 percent man but we must never forget he also was 100% God. And the godness of the cross is what inspires us <laughs> even today. It wasn't just some natural routine. It was a supernatural act that cleanses us from all sin. This is going to bless you, I promise you. So here we go. Buckle down and get ready for Sean and the Word. Let's go. This is Sean. And the word. So I prepared this message. It's so funny. It's very funny. And I pray this speaks to you. I know it will. Um, last year, I was in class. And there was a preaching class. And I had to prepare a message. And I prepared this message. And I turned it in. It was like 32 pages long. And this past Monday, I had to turn one in again. And instead of redoing it, I just turned this one in. And this past Monday, I had to preach it in class. I've never preached this message, and I I preached it in class just because I had so much going on. I had to turn it in and get it done. I preached it in class, and I will not lie to you. They said that it was the best message they ever heard. They said, oh, you have to preach this in chapel. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I told my professor, I said, man, I think I should preach this to my church. He's like, yeah. (laughs) So um, I guess we're going to hear the word of the Lord this morning. How mighty is our God? It's probably not going to be the best message you ever heard but um i pray i know it will speak to your heart because it is his word and it's from his throne room if you're ready for it say amen mark chapter 15 verses 33 through 39 when the sixth hour came darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour at the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice eloi eloi lama sabbathani which is translated my god my god why have you forsaken me verse 35 When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on the reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and to take him down. Verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud, somebody say loud, loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. Verse 39. And when the centurion who was standing there right in front of him said this, when he breathed, when he saw him breathe his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, this man was the son of God. And I want to tell you this morning that we serve and we have a mighty God. We have a mighty God. Lord, we bless you this morning. Oh, God, we magnify you. Lord, let us not forget, Lord, the awe. Lord, that put in awesome. Let us not forget, Lord, the glory that was put in the glorious. God, let us not forget the majesty, Lord, that was put in the majestic. Lord, let us not forget, Lord, you are enthroned above the heavens and the earth. 
Let us not forget, Lord, that you're sovereign and in complete control, Lord, of our situations in our lives. Lord, let us not forget, God, that you are mighty. Lord, that you're mighty. Let us not forget, Lord, that all of history will look to these six verses. And God, all of history looks to that last hours. Lord, you gave everything to make us yours. Lord, I pray today you would remind us how mighty. Lord, I pray today you would encourage us and let us know, Lord, that you're in charge. Father, move. Spirit, move in this place. Father, speak in this house. Speak, O oh Lord. I want to tell you that all of history looks at this point. At the end of time, when all the end of everything is said and done, we're going to look back to these six verses. We're going to look back to these six hours of a life that was given. We're going to look back to these. The Bible says that when he comes back, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We're going to look and we're going to behold that he is God. And we're going to have to give an account for what we did with these six verses. We're going to have to give an account what we did, what happened in these six hours. What they look back on is what they look forward to. In the Garden of Eden, when, 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 when Adam and Eve was in the garden and sin came upon the earth, and he said, they tried covering their sin, they tried covering themselves because they were ashamed of what they'd done. They were guilty for their sin and their disobedience towards God. And yet they looked forward for the Lord to cover them, for the Lord to forgive them, for the Lord to make a way. All of history points to this time. All of history points to these hours. Mark is a wonderful book. We're studying Mark on at Sunday nights, and I encourage you to come. It's a wonderful time. Had a lot of great discussions. Mark is a great book. Uh, John Mark, uh, Barnabas' brother, is the one who wrote it. He's the one that set up underneath Peter. Peter would, would preach and teach all these things of what Jesus did and all the stories of where Jesus went and all these preachings that Jesus spoke. And, and John Mark would write it down, and we have his collection in the book of Mark. And Mark wants to establish something. He starts off in the first eight chapters. He establishes Jesus as king, Jesus as Lord. Matter of fact, he starts off the book by ushering God, by ushering Jesus in, saying that he's the son of God. He said, well, that's a good title, son of God. It's like he's the son of God. Yes, he's the son of God, but it's a Hebrew idiom. The Hebrew idiom means this, that he has God characteristics, God traits. You say, well, you know, mother like daughter, you know, father like son. That boy looks just like me. <laughs> oh, that don't happen to me. Well, that girl acts just like me. And you have the same characteristics, the same traits. And you say, man, this guy is God. He has the same characteristics, the same traits. He is the king. He is God. In the first eight chapters, he ushers in the king. He ushers in not only this, this mighty God, this mighty son of God coming in, but he's a servant. He's strong servant. He has power over diseases, power over leprosy, power over demons, power over sin, power over the earth, power over the storms, power over the, the, the wind and the seas. He is a mighty God. And in the last eight chapters, especially from chapter 10 to chapter 16, Mark says, listen, this king who that has come, this sovereign God that is here, he is now laying his life down. For the last six chapters, he talks about the passion of the Christ. The last week that our Lord lived upon this earth. And then you, he gets into this point where, where he is before, the, before Pilate and before Herod. And he is questioned, are you the Christ? And he says, I am what you say I am. Are you the God? I am what you say I am. 
And the Jews yell all the more, crucify, 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 crucify him, kill him, kill him. So they had him flogged, they had him beaten. They had him bruised and they had him battered. They had him whipped, they had him cut. They had him spanked time and time again. And as he was within an inch of his life, they took him to Golgotha, to Calvary. And Mark says that they took this king, they took this mighty God, and they put him upon a cross in between two criminals. And they watched. They watched. And they watched. They would take nails, the big old railroad-type spike nails, and they would hammer it into the wrist, or what they called the hand in their day. And they would hammer it into the wrist. And they would put his feet at, at such an angle where he would have to push up to breathe. Push up to breathe. He would suffocate. His weight would be so much that he would have to push up to breathe. And for days on end, days on end, he would have to gasp for his breath. He would have to gasp for each breath. Breathe. 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 Then you have here where Mark says the king, that is above every king. In verse 33, I want you to know that God is still on his throne when he was on the cross. I want you to know that yet he was wounded and bruised and battered, yet he was put upon a cross to die as a criminal and die in shame and in agony. He was still a mighty God, and he is still a mighty God in our life. I want you to look that he has, that the Lord is in control of the time, that the Lord is in control of the time. Look at verse 33. When the sixth hour came, that's, that's high noon. See, the sixth hour, you say, well, what, what does that mean, pastor? What does that mean, preacher? What does that mean, Sean? The sixth hour came. See, this is specific. I want you to know that God is into detail, that God is in at just the right time, that he has it all figured out. You say, well, what's this talking about? The sixth hour, noon, from all week long, the Passover lambs was being examined by the priests. The Passover lambs were being watched and looked at to make sure they were without blemish, without spot. And at just the right time, they were about to be sacrificed, about to be offered up to the Lord. He said, well, God has time figured out. Amen. When Abraham and Isaac was walking up to offer up Isaac to the, to, on the altar before the Lord. And as they were walking, Isaac, a young lad, looked up to his dad and said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham in faith looked down and said, Son, let me tell you, the Lord will see to it himself. And right when Isaac was laid down upon the altar and Abraham was about to kill his own son, the Lord said, Whoa, at just the right time. He said, Stop at just the right time. He says, look up into the thicket and you will see the provision of the Lord. You will see the lamb, the ram in the thicket. And I want to tell you, it's just the right time. God has everything under control. Our situation when we think we're floundering or we're failing or we're not going to get where we need to be. God has our time under control. At this hour, when everybody thought that the king was being killed, I submit to you that God, was fulfilling. Mm. When they thought that they were taking a king's life, he was laying it down at just the right time. Romans 8, chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Romans 5, chapter 8 says this. He says this. He says that at just the right time, while we were yet powerless and weak, God died for us. Very rarely would a man die for a righteous man. Well, how much more would he die for a godly man? But he demonstrates his love towards this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. 
And I want to tell you, it was just the right time. From the noon until six, it was appointed that the king would fulfill his promise. Not only is he in charge of time, but he's in charge of elements. Look at verse 33 again. Darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Darkness covered the land. Some people say, well, you know, he, there's a solar eclipse at this specific time of history. There's a solar eclipse. You know, the moon was just blotted out by the sun, or the sun was blotted out by the moon. It was just a natural effect, a natural thing. Well, I want to tell you that he's in charge of the elements. See, I want to tell you that he takes the things that are not and makes them as if they are. He took the very dust of the earth, precious, and he formed you and he formed me. He took the very void of the earth and he made heavens and he made the sea and he made land and he made the atmosphere. He made the heavens. I want to tell you that he takes the elements that we have and that was placed here and he forms. He's in the creator. He's in charge and control of it. You say, well, that's attributed to God. Is that attributed to Jesus? Look at Mark chapter 4. Verse 41, the disciples are in the boat, they're going across Galilee, Jesus is in the bow of the boat sleeping, acting like he don't care, but he's sleeping and resting, the disciples are fearful, they're scared, the storm arose on the Sea of Galilee, and as the storm arose, they were terrified that they were going to lose their life, they were terrified that they were going to die. And they came down and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care that we're going to drown? He got up and he says, why are you afraid? Why are you scared? You have little faith. Storm, be still. Verse 41 says this. The disciples reply. They became very much afraid, not of the storm, but who was in their midst. They wasn't afraid of the waves crashing over the boat sinking anymore. They were afraid whose presence they were in. They were afraid who was in this boat with them. This is not a normal man. He says they were much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Who is this that we serve? He's not a small God made up of man's hands, but he is the king of glory. Who is this that we serve? Is it a God that we can put in a box that says, no, Lord, you can't have this. No, God, you can't do this. No, Lord, you're unable to move this. But when you come to the point to know that he's in charge of the elements, that he has control of everything, baby, you too would say, who is this that I serve? Who is this that I worship? Who is this that I bless? Who is this that I'm in love with? Who is this that I desire to know more? Who is this that I desire to want more of? Who is this? Oh, he's a mighty God. Oh, he's a mighty God. He's the king of glory. He's the Lord of our salvation. He's the righteous father. He is the wise counselor. He is wonderful. Hallelujah. He's in control of time. He's in control of elements. Precious, he's in control of our sin. This mighty God, this creator of the universe, this holy Lord, starts coming down to see what really, really matters to him. What really touches his heart. What he's really about. 
who's in control of our sin. Look at verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. I want you to look at the first cry. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathini, which is translated, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And a lot of scholars believe this, and I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. A lot of scholars believe that, that the Father God turned his back upon the Son God. He turned his back upon Jesus because of the full wrath of sin that was upon him. Luke chapter, chapter 12, verse 51 says that Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo. That word baptism simply means this, a submersion. And he had already been baptized by water, and he's talking about this submersion of sins that he's going to undergo, that he's going to take the sins of the world upon him when he dies upon the cross. That he had a submerge, he had my sin, your sin, and it was upon him. And everybody says that he was, that he was crying, God, why do you forsake me? Why do you leave me, Father? Why do you leave me at this hour? But I want you to know that he's quoting Psalm 22 directly. And Psalm 22 starts out with a cry of anguish, a cry of help, a plea for mercy. But all precedent ends with a cry of victory, a cry of promise, a cry of praise. It starts off as pain. It starts off as anguish, but all his heart is that we will be reconciled. His heart is that we would be forgiven. And when he died upon the cross, it became victory. It became a way that we can know him. It starts off one way and ends another. He has control of the time. He's in control of the elements. He's in control of our sin. That dying upon the cross in verse 30, 35 says this, 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. They heard him crying for mercy. Everybody that was gathered around said, this, God ain't, this guy ain't God. This is not a king. Look, he's crying for mercy. He's crying for Elijah to come and save him and deliver him. Here, let's give him some vinegar that may sustain him a little bit longer to see if Elijah comes. What kind of king would cry and, and ask for pity, ask for mercy? But they didn't fully understand that he was crying a cry of praise. And when he breathed his last breath, like most criminals upon a cross, they would just give up and die. Because they didn't have the strength to lift up one more time. They didn't have strength to grab one more breath. So they would just suffocate and they would faint into eternity. That's not what our God did. That's not what our king done. The Bible says that he let out a loud cry. That word loud is megas. It's a mega cry. It's an awesome cry. It's the idea when a runner is winning a race and he finishes the race and he says, victory. It is finished. It is complete. Sin has been atoned for. A way has been made. Bible says in verse 38 that the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. The temple was a symbology of God's presence. The ark was in the holies of holies. The ark of the covenant was inside the holies of holies. And there was a three inch curtain that would separate the man, sinful man, from a holy God. And unless you were cleansed, unless you were consecrated, you could not go into the holies of holies, into God's presence. You cannot go in there. There's a three-inch veil. 
The Bible says that it was ripped in twain. That word twain simply means that it was so severed, so irreconcilable that it was just about shredded. It was shredded in two. He says that the death upon the cross, the victory that the king brought, it shredded the temple veil. Mercy is attainable. God's presence is attainable to all who may come, to all who may believe. Then it continues on in verse 39. Look at verse 39. It says that when the centurion, the very man that put him on the cross, the very man that beat him within inches of his life, the very man that watched him in agony, watched him crying. It says when the centurion watched the way that he breathed his last, he stood back and said, truly, this is the Son of God. Truly, there's something different about this man. He didn't die like all the other ones I see. He didn't die like all the other ones I watch. This man is a king. This man is God. Spare him. Save him. The centurion realized that God has time under control. He realized that God had the elements under control. He understood that the Lord and atone for our sins. And he acknowledged him as God. He acknowledged him as Lord. There's a story told about the 1968 USS Puebla. There's nothing more than a spy ship going around, spying on different countries and looking at what they were doing. What so happens that the nation of Korea found this ship and invaded it and took it. 83 men survived. 13 of them were placed in a room with a circle table. And these men sat around these tables, these seamen sat around this table looking at each other. And about at six hours after being there, the door flung open and a Korean guard came in and the man sitting in the number one chair was getting beaten time and time again with the butt of his gun, the butt of his rifle. Hit in the face, hit on the shoulder, teeth busted out, nose broken, blood squirting everywhere. And then he walked out. Two hours later, the guard come back in and started beating the man again while the other 12 soldiers watched. While the other 12 soldiers paid attention to this man taking their punishment. Guard left. And when he came back, the soldiers did something very strange. They rotated. They knew that that man would have took another beating. If he would have taken another hit, he would have died. So for 13 straight days, they rotated. And each of them took the man's punishment. Each of them took the man's beating. Each of them took the man's bruises and his lashes. And I want to tell you that there was a God that came. There's a king that lived. And he took our place at just the right time, at just the right hour, 
at just the right circumstances so that all may know that He is Lord. He is Lord. He took your place. He took your sins. He took your cross. He took your pain. He took your beatings. That you may live. That you may have everlasting life. What a mighty God. With every head bowed and every eyes closed. All of history will point back to these six hours. Precious, the day will come where you will stand before God. And he will reveal these six hours where his son came to die upon the cross for your sins. And he'll say, what have you done with them? Did you laugh? Did you reject? Or did you accept and commit your life? ask you now what have you done with them what have you done with the God that has time under control what have you done with the God that has the elements under control what have you done with the one who has covered our sin and took in our place what have you done Lord we praise you God, we bless you. Lord, remind us you didn't die like a mere pauper, Lord, like a peasant. You didn't die like a criminal, even though they attended you to. You died like a king for his children. You took our place, O oh Lord. Remind us today, Lord, in this time of invitation that you're mighty. God, for those who have never committed their life to you, never accepted you in their hearts and the forgiveness of sins. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would convict them. Help them to be obedient, oh, Lord. Help them to surrender. Truly, what a mighty God. Again, we're so thankful to have this time with you. And we just want you to remember that your God is in complete control. And he loves you. What a mighty God. Hallelujah. We love you. God bless you all the way. God bless you real good. And we'll see you next time on Sean and the Word.